I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Drive Podcast. All right, welcome back. Yet another week. This is episode 206, and this is your boy East Coast Trev with my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardik. What up? What up, buddy? You ready? Uh, ready for Huntstock, dude. We are on our way. I know, man. It's if you guys haven't already, but or you probably should be on your way too. Actually, I take that back. By about the time they're listening to this, we're probably turning around to go back to get something that you forgot. Or you but forgot. Eventually, <laughs> we will be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really care if I forget anything, honestly. <laughs> we're just going. It doesn't really matter at this point. I know it's vacation yep. for me. So <laughs> the, the, boys, the boys are fired up. Everybody's going to be there. It's going to be a good weekend. That's good. Is everyone going to be there? I believe so. Well, yeah, who knows? You we'll never see. know. You can't. You, you can't. never know. Hey, it don't. Whenever it happens, it happens. It, I know that Lou will be there, so there is no more hashtag. Where's Lou? Oh, well, allegedly. hold on. It's not. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> we'll know. We'll know when we get there. But <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a good time. Though. I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah, we're uh, we're super pumped about it. If you guys haven't or aren't on your way or aren't coming or need something to do this weekend, we will be at Huntstock in Westminster, Massachusetts at the Wildwood Farms. So come and check us out. We will be there. Um, Nor'easter Game Calls will be there. Uh, there's a ton of great people beyond the boundaries. Um, August Rising, Northeast Big Buck Club, uh, Bowhunt Mass., um there's just a pile of them they're all there everyone's going to be there it looked like there was vortex and 
uh, Quiet Cat. I mean, it's there's over 80 sponsors that are going to be there. So it's going to be a real good event. You guys should definitely come and check us out, and we will be there. And while we're on a ton the, of giveaways, oh, a ton. They always give away something. There'll be giveaways of e-bikes and uh, Moultrie cameras going to be there. I mean, it's this is a big event. I mean, this is this is it. This is the end all be all for hunting. Um, there will be midget wrestling on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I think Brad Jarvis is putting that on. He decided to came forth and sponsored the um, the ring. Oh and boy! So we will have that there on Sunday. There will be midget wrestling. I think Don't Steven's going to jump bring, up in bring, there. We bring your bows. Yep. There's a three D course there on site. We actually have uh, on staff midget um, wrestler ourselves. We have Lou. Uh, he's actually world champion midget wrestler, so we're gonna throw him in the rink on Sunday. Um, you know, he's he's he makes it. He's a legal midget. He's four six, uh, Portuguese. Uh, he's fighting in the left corner, wearing blue. So we're looking forward to that. So that would be kind of wearing good. Hunt, wearing Huntworth out yeah. of the blue corner. <laughs> Uh, we could almost hit all the sponsors by just doing that. He is in his latitude saddle <laughs> wearing <laughs> a Bow Hunters United t shirt. <laughs> uh, Holy shit. Yeah, well, that's where this podcast is gone. Um, but no, we're actually, this is a killer podcast. I was super happy and we couldn't thank Jake for getting on. We had a little bit of technical difficulties throughout this podcast. We had the record button got double tapped there. Um, so it wasn't recording for 29 minutes. So we went back and then ended up re-recording and can't thank Jacob enough for staying on and doing that after a busy day at work and having the little ones. And it was really good. Um, we truly appreciate it. You know, if you double tap that record button when there's a big. What? You just, you just broke out. You just broke out. Did we lose you? All right, I'm going to go through the sponsors anyways. So first and foremost is Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Secondly, we are actually brought to and title sponsored with Huntworth, huntworthcamo.com, or huntworthgear.com. Uh, with their Huntworth camo, um, LatitudeOutdoors.com, Latitude Saddles. The new carbon sticks are starting to ship for you guys that did pre-order those guys. And also um, Bowhunters United, BowhuntersUnited.com. If you guys aren't you know, members of Bowhunters United, get Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine for a month subscription. Um, and they do sponsor the news for your crews. Uh, so let's bring it on over. We'll have Mike Salter do that, the news for your crews, and then we'll get on with Jacob. And All right, guys, why don't we buckle up and see what's going on in the world of news with Mr. Mike Salter. Hey everyone, we're going to start this one off with some new bills that have passed. First in Maine, LD 1186, which has been signed by the governor. The new law directs the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife to develop a hunting and fishing software application. The application is to be downloadable onto the person's electronic device and allow people to access the department's publicly accessible website pages regarding hunting and fishing information, licenses, and permits. Now for a few from North Dakota. First, H-1233, which has been signed by the governor and provides that an individual whose 11th, 12th, or 13th birthday occurs in the same year as a youth deer hunting season is entitled to receive a statewide white-tailed antlerless deer permit. 
Uh, H1409 was enacted, which provides that non-resident youth who are less than a specified age may purchase a general game hunting license and may hunt small game and waterfowl except swans and wild turkeys. The law provides that the that to be eligible to purchase a license, a non-resident youth must possess a certificate of completion for a certified hunter education course and that a non-resident youth may only hunt under the supervision of an adult family member or legal guardian. And H1134 has also been enacted, which provides that the director of the Game and Fish Department may issue any resident license and adopt rules if necessary to carry out resident licensing for specified persons, including an individual who is a member of the United States Armed Forces and who's within the state on duty or leave, or non-resident current North Dakota National Guard member. Also, 1244 has been enacted, which involves the use of dogs in big game recovery. The law provides that while hunting, pursuing, killing, taking, or attempting to take or to aid in the hunting or taking of any big game animal, an individual may not carry a firearm or archery equipment while using a dog during the recovery of a big game animal. There is exception for a dog handler, which may carry a handgun during recovery of a big game animal when in the presence of the dog and provides that the dog handler carrying a handgun may not use the handgun to carry to, in any manner to assist in the recovery of that big game animal. Now in New York, where Bill 6822 has been passed, which amends the environmental conservation law to authorize big game hunting for deer and bear in Onondaga County. Now to Mass, where the Mass where Mass Wildlife is holding a hybrid public hearing on August 15th at 1 p.m. on proposed regulations that would extend the dates of the archery deer hunting season in zones one through nine by two weeks. This would have archery season begin statewide in all zones on the 8th Monday before Thanksgiving and end the first Saturday after Thanksgiving. The public can attend the meeting and provide oral comments in person at the Mass Wildlife Field Headquarters in Westboro or via Zoom webinar. Written comments will also be accepted until August 29th at 5 p.m., which can be submitted via email to susan.sacco at mass.gov. Next, the Atlantic Stripe Bass Management Board of the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission enacted emergency protections in May that changed the slot limit to 28 to 31 inches. These protections were set to expire this October, but the board has now voted to extend the protections through October 28th of 2024. The extension will allow the board to draft new regulations to reduce striped bass mortality, which will be proposed in October at the commission's annual meeting, so be on the lookout for those. Now to Virginia, where the DWR is seeking public input through September 5th on the 2023 to 2032 Virginia Black Bear Management Plan. The revised plan will guide bear management through 2032. The management plan can be found at dwr.virginia.gov slash wildlife slash bear slash draft dash Virginia dash bear dash management dash plan. Lastly, some big national news were due to the 2022 Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Federal funding has been pulled for hunting and archery programs in schools. Federal guidance provides that archery, hunting, education, and wilderness safety courses utilize weapons that are technically dangerous weapons and therefore may not be funded under the 1965 Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which is the primary source for federal aid for elementary and secondary education across the country. Now this week, due to the backlash over the guidance, the Biden administration has opened the door to revising the crackdown on the hunting education and archery classes saying it would work with Congress to restore funding for such programs. 
The Department of Education acknowledged it had defunded school sportsman activities that traditionally receive federal dollars and stated those programs are enrichment opportunities. The agency added it would work with lawmakers to develop language resolving the issue. This is a big deal and heavily impacts programs like the Natural Archery in Schools program. So please reach out to your legislators and voice your opposition to removal of this funding. Also, don't forget to click on the Outdoor Drives affiliate link in the episode description to become a member of Bowhunters United today to protect and expand your bowhunting rights. As always, if you have any news to send along to me, it would be greatly appreciated. Send it to Mike Salter on Facebook or Bearded underscore Bowhunter 21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. All right. Thank you, Mike Salter, and thank you, all the sponsors. All the links are below. You can go and see Jacob's um, YouTube page. That link is also below. And uh, if you guys aren't, we will see you at Huntstock. You got anything else, Steve, before we break this thing off or what? I just want to throw one thing in there. You ripped through the sponsors so quick I didn't cut you off. For you guys that are uh, receiving your Latitude Sticks, Make sure you guys read the directions. There's a little bit of confusion with how that AM seal is getting connected to the clips. Uh, Latitude just put out a video today, and obviously it comes with instructions, but we're men and we don't read instructions. So when you get those sticks, make sure you uh, you do that properly and read the instructions. And make sure that you're using the promo code Outdoor Drive on that and saving yourself fifteen uh, percent. So don't forget to use that promo save code. Money. I don't know. It seems, and it's funny, is like people don't like they just get on there and buy and they get excited, I guess, yeah. but they just they bitch, bitch and moan about all the money Biden's taking, but you could save money with latitude with our promo code and you don't do it. What's wrong with these I people? I know. I don't know. It's crazy. Well, I got to go, get going because we need to get ready for hunt stock and uh, I, I'm done talking. So we're going to turn the mic over to Jacob. What do you say, bud? Let it rip potato chip. All right, we're back on the phone with Jake Emery. What's up, man? Oh, nothing, man. Good to hear from you tonight. Yeah, you too. It's <laughs> great to have you on. <laughs> I guess we can let everybody know that we had technical difficulties, and this is round number two. <laughs> we, you got a mouse in your pocket. <laughs> I guess I got... 35 minutes deep. Yeah. Well, man, why don't we uh, – we'll skip all the BS, dude. Why don't we turn this key, man, tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you do, Jake. All righty. Uh, deja vu. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Emery. Uh, i uh 32 years old. I grew up in the small town of Calhoun, Kentucky. Um, kind of cut my teeth there, hunt with my granddad, a um, bunch of small permission properties for years, uh, lots of places under – you know, 20, 30 acres and kind of continued to do that all the way up to my teenage years when I could start driving and started getting a little more adventurous and dabbling in this and that. And venture off to some public every now and then, get my ass kicked and put my tail between my legs and run on back to my little pieces of property. And, um, I don't know, man, uh, ended up meeting my wife here a couple of years ago and made the transition over to be a transplant Hoosier. Uh, for a little while, we're always planning on getting back to Kentucky, but uh, we've got three kiddos. Uh, we have one together. Each of us have one from a previous uh, relationship. So we've got three kiddos, which is where I started the uh, DO3 Outdoors from, Data 3. Awesome. I think that's absolutely awesome. Now, now you're what, in Indiana now? Yeah. Yeah. I, do you like the hunting better in Indiana over Kentucky? That information is confidential. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> man, 
<laughs> it's all the same to me. Yeah. I, I love it. Uh, I love both places. Both places have things about them that I just love. So, and you go back and forth anyways, and hunt both of the both of the states anyways. Yeah, or oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, there's no way I could ever go without hunting both states the rest of my life. Because it, it's that like the Midwest hunting, of course, is obviously the better. Have you ever hunted anywhere other than the Midwest? Uh, hunted. Shoot, I got one of those little girly-ass United States maps you can scribble off for every state that I've hunted in. Um, And let's see, I'm just going to go from right to left. Maryland, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Missouri, Kansas, um, South Dakota, and Wyoming. And some of those are deer and turkey, so... And killed in all um, of those states? No, hell no. <laughs> hell no. <laughs> well, you think if you were watching your YouTube page, then you've killed in all those states, and it's very simple. And <laughs> No, no, it's definitely not simple. Uh, what did we touch on before? Uh, talking about how uh, the video is just a, a short part of the success, and it just looks like everybody's just knocking it out of the park, and that ain't. That ain't the case. No, it's it's not the case at all because, like, like you know, when you watch the video, everybody thinks that it's all this glory and that anybody can go and do such a thing. But in all reality, that there's a hundred sits to be successful or thousands of hours of scouting and walking and hiking and looking and, you know, and everybody thinks – I think that's one of the things that about YouTube stars, right, quote-unquote. Like, everyone thinks that they're, like, so good, but they just put a ton of time in and a ton of effort. I mean, they're good in their art, but, like, they make it look so much better. Right. It's like uh, I was telling you guys earlier, you know, you watch these guys fishing on TV and they're catching a fish on every cast. It just ain't that ain't the case. They're just cutting and cutting and putting it all together. And it looks like they're just wearing them out. And that's what they normally are anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like I was thinking last year with me and you, Chev Turkey Hunt. Everyone thought we were just laying them down left and right. Nobody saw the hundreds of miles I put on my truck and every piece of public we hit between each bird. All they saw was the grip and grin here and the grip and grin there. And it, it, it looks easy, but I mean, there's so much work going on in between each bird. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't, don't lie to me. Y'all, well, you are in the Northeast, ain't you? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're hunting them old Rio Easterns up there. <laughs> Goblet freaking pots and pans banging them together. I, I know how it is up there. I've done seen the videos Gee. on YouTube. <laughs> come on up oh man i'm coming next year i pro 110 percent. i'm making that trip i'm excited well i mean we're allowed to kill five birds a, uh, a season jesus christ <laughs> so wouldn't you know that there's a lot of birds here because we can shoot five a season right no <laughs> yeah, man. i so i i got a question for you where did where did the whole filming thing for you start? Like, where did you cut your teeth in, in filming, and, and what made you want to get into filming? I would say around the 2011, 12, 13 mark, somewhere there, I got approached from one of my great friends, uh, Stephen Fuller with The Hunting Grounds. Uh, a little plug for his channel. He's a great mix of some public and uh, private and land management. 
he's uh he's right up there with like grant woods as far as knowledge on, on as far as you know what the deer are eating why they're eating it what to plant when to plant it he, he's great and uh he asked me if i would be interested in starting to film my hunts and join their team so i joined a team full of strangers and to this day even though i'm not a part of the hunting grounds anymore uh, i consider all those guys over there my brothers and i do anything in the world for them um but I've been, you know, dabbling with a handy cam from that point up till um, like 2017, 18, when the ca- uh, cameras on our phones started getting pretty legit. And, uh, filmed all my hunts that you see on YouTube. Almost every single hunt on there was filmed uh, with a cell phone, a GoPro, or a handy cam. Um, and then just recently, somebody told me, like, man, you're right there on that breaking point. If you could add just a little quality in there, you might be able to do something. So we're going to try it this year and, and just see what happens. My, my biggest thing is, you know, I see a decent rat coming through the woods. I just go dipshit mode, like, screw that camera. I'm killing this deer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I get, that was going to be my next question. Like, is there ever like that point where you just want to hang it up and just hunt like without having it? Or have you made like a certain, you know, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like a, like, a, like a certain time where you're just like, no, I'm going to film no matter what. I'm not going to put the camera down or. No, I'm, I've never had that moment. I've had the opposite moment. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I kind of strayed away from the hunting grounds was I didn't want to feel pressured to get every single hunt and shot on camera mm-hmm. and get, you know, quote unquote in trouble if I didn't. And then, you know, you start seeing like the views you're getting with it and then the monetization hits and, you know, it's just fun to interact with everybody. So then it's like, Oh yeah, I need I need to be trying to get this on camera. So from this point on, I'm I mean I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm a little bit harder. <laughs> he said I'm gonna try. <laughs> he, he was going to. He said I'm gonna try. Which it's that's right. But has have you ever had the moment where it ruined a hunt for you though filming? No, I don't. I don't let that happen. That's not gonna happen for me. If I even remotely think that deer is gonna catch me fooling with that camera, or I'm gonna be put in a bond or i'm gonna run out of time it ain't happening and that's why i like to keep like my second angle above me mm-hmm. so i let's just say i'm filming with my cell phone on a little arm and i've got this buck he's 100 yards he's coming or he's 75 whatever first thing i'm doing is i'm keeping my eyes on him and i'm reaching up behind me and hitting the record button on my gopro It'll turn on, start recording. Now I've got this overview of me getting my shit ready and focusing on what to do. So even if like I get a little bit of footage of that buck coming in, but I'm I'm not gonna get the shot, I gotta make it happen. I still got my view from up top. It's something. And there's a there's an appreciation, I feel like. We talked a little bit earlier about overproduced, just super cinematic hunts. There's a time and place for those, and I love watching them. Like Heartland Bowhunter is one of my favorite people to watch, and their YouTube numbers are sickening. They should have way better numbers than that, in my opinion, and I think it leads back to these guys are watching, I don't want to say people like me, but these blue-collar dudes that just live for this crap, that go through the struggles of you know trying to 
to get this on film and they don't have all the time in the world to go hunt. They don't have a cameraman sitting there doing all the work for them. When like some of my best videos view wise are, are shots that I didn't get on camera, but there's a good story behind it. And I think people appreciate that. Now, obviously everybody would rather see the deer get stuck with an arrow and bleed to death when he tips over at 30 yards, but it sometimes it just don't happen. Well, I, you know, you bring up a valid point there because honestly, like, I think a lot of people go to YouTube or watch hunting videos to learn something. And there's been generations and generations of these these big, big time hunters that it's all about the hunt, right? And they go in and they kill these deer, but they don't learn anything. But guys, blue collar guys are hardworking guys. They want to watch these YouTube videos and learn something. The the struggles and this, that, and the other thing, when they go and watch the big names, you're not learning anything. You're just watching the deer get killed, right? So like you want to see the struggles, the things that you go through, the norm, the, the, the normalities of it, shooting doe, shooting smaller deer, you know, like the things that are in their reach to be able to go and try and yep, i and yep. i think that that's where that filming comes into play you know like when guys see normal average joes going on public land and killing big deer they're they are more opt to go and try and do it also because it's in their yep. reach and it's in their wheelhouse then they end up like me shooting a 85 inch deer on the last day of season <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because they failed at killing anything else, right? And they—that's what they got to be able to see, right? Yeah, because the damn the damn does didn't come close enough. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You sound like me. <laughs> hey, when you want to kill, you want to kill, man. And when you, you know, and one of the things that I say all the time is the only way you're going to learn how to kill big deer is by killing deer. You have to be good at killing deer to kill big deer. This just didn't happen. I mean, how many deer do you think before you were, like, growing up, there's probably a pile of 100-inch deer that you've shot or smaller deer that you've shot. You didn't just graduate to shooting 170-inch whitetails. Right. Yo, yeah, I mean, you nailed it, dude. You've you got to put a couple arrows and a couple bullets through them and, and get a feel for it. You're not going to know what to do in the time that matters most on the year of a lifetime well especially if they're filming then they're just going to double double tap the yeah. old record button <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which we are recording right now right? yes we are recording <laughs> <laughs> thanks jacob i appreciate it <laughs> i'm gonna check in about every 20 minutes okay <laughs> he's like i'm not recording this podcast ever again we're getting this no, done and over with. No, that, just that is definitely not where i'm going with that it's just uh we we call that a Trev's bloopers, which is 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 it's always there's always something that I do wrong, and we call it Trev's bloopers because like whether go into the tree stand in your Crocs or you know you forget those things. Like I bet you you have a hundred of those. Oh, I mean I hunt in Crocs all the time. I mean that's that's my go-to hunting boot. Come on, is it really? Oh, I've won. I I've hunted up my Crocs quite a few times. Yeah, while oh, yeah. while saddle hunting. Oh, bud, one sticking. I ain't, I'm not scared. In four wheel drive. Hell, what? Sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to do what you got to do. That's all right. 
<laughs> no, I, I don't do it on purpose. I have forgotten my boots a couple times or they've been walking from the prior hunt. I'm like, screw it. I'm wearing the damn Crocs. I don't care. Going in Crocs. I don't, I think it's a, that's more of like a Midwest Southern thing is <laughs> the Crocs. Yeah. Hunting in Crocs. <laughs> yeah. I see that. Uh, well, I bet you with being in water, water entry, it's probably an easy thing for you to do. Uh, yeah. Um, I do like to wear them on the kayak. Um, and I'll take both my dry shods and I'll take like my hiking hunting boots, which right now I'm running, I'm running some kit tracks. Um, but one of the prize packages in the film festival was a brand new pair of Zamberlin boots. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. damn excited about that. Um, getting off on a tangent. Um, I take my rubbers and my leather boots with me, uh, based off of where I'm going to hunt or, um, if I got to get out of the kayak in the water, you know, I've always got both with me, but a lot of times I just wear my Crocs unless it's like super cold, you know, obviously then I'm throwing something else on, but what, what kind of made you get into the whole water access for deer? Like what was, what is the reason for doing such a thing? So I'm actually writing up a piece right now that I'm going to propose to a couple different magazines and see who bites on it. But it's um, like a water for whitetails, say to, so to say, article. And, um, you know, my dad has been an Ingram barge pilot for years now. Um, he's always been on the river. He's always had me on the river jugging 4 a.m. on school nights and trying to kill me on a tube and shit. So I've always been a part of the water and he's always had John boats and kayaks and whatnot. So, you know, when I started dabbling in the public side of it, you know, I started pulling that 14, 16 foot canoe out in some of these sloughs and marshes and whatnot and just playing around with it. And I always loved the adventure aspect of it. And then I started seeing these guys um, like Parker McDonald is one. Uh, Greg even talked a little bit about using kayaks to access some pretty cool places. And But I wasn't seeing anybody like just go over the top and kill these monstrous deer and paddle them out. I know it happens and there's plenty of people that do it that are just quiet about it. Um, but I just, that's, I wanted to do that, man. So I finally decided about three, four years ago, I'm going to buy one that can take the load that, you know, I'm going to put on it as far as a deer and my gear and myself and camera equipment, whatever. And, and I'm going to run with it. And it took me a couple of years to get the hang of it, but it's been clicking for me lately. Is there, was there a certain kayak or certain features that you were looking for when you were looking for a water access kayak? So I wanted, like I said, I wanted that like dreamy, like footage of the deer on the front of the kayak. Like I'm not even going to beat around the bush. Like I wanted to get to these hard to reach areas, but I wanted that dreamy freaking picture one day. And so the big thing for me was surface area um, to where there's enough room for me to lay a deer there and put myself in the seat and put my gear behind me. Uh, so in, I guess I, I, I at the time they were only $5.99. I bought an Ascend 12T kayak from Bass Pro, and I hate saying that because they don't even know who the heck I am, and I've probably sold them close to 50 kayaks. It's super aggravating. 
And, you know, we've talked a little bit in the previous podcast that we weren't recording on just like sponsors and <laughs> partnerships and things like that. Like, like I don't like to have those unless it's a real relationship with that person or company we've met, we've talked, you know, we like each other and I believe in your product. Mm. And like, I reached out to new canoe, like I'm not even scared to say it. Like, Hey guys, like, this is my resume. Look at some of these deer and, and look at these stories I'm getting published in these magazines. And, and I think like I could possibly be a great addition to y'all's team. Like I threw out this big pitch and I don't put myself out there ever like for things like that. And I was so excited. I'm like, they're going to gobble this up and be like, Oh man, it's like, we got to get Jacob a, a new canoe. No, nothing. 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 Not a thing. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my spirits are hurt so bad. <laughs> so I was like, and I'm like, whatever. I'm just, I'm sticking with the Ascend 12T and uh, and running with it. Um, I'd like to have a, a canoe. I'd like to get my hands on like a 14, 16 foot canoe. And I want to cut it, maybe not in half, but, you know, transom up the back and have that square back where I can put a trolling motor back there. Mm-hmm. But I've got like more room for stuff in front of me, maybe a little bit more stable. But you know what well, you know that's a funny thing is i spoke at the mobile hunters expo uh in ohio a couple of years ago on water access and you know everybody just want to talk like kayak 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 it's not always about a kayak you know water access to me is using the water to move in on the deer and you know that could be a john boat it could be a damn jet ski if you're ballsy enough um it can be a pair of hip waders you know and i've used them not all, but I've used a few different ones to move in on these deer and, and, and make it happen. And, you know, you bring up a very valid point where it's not when you do think water access, it could be a pair of hip waders to get across or down a river system to get to wherever you need to go so that then you're getting in. And one of the other things that we talked about before was was the scent control aspect of it by having the water access to get into these places and not put the scent in those areas to have those big mature bucks come in and not cross your path. 110%. And and just being able to get away with multiple scents in the same say so area, not maybe not the same exact spot, uh, which, which you can, uh, but, but man, using that water just lets you get away with murder literally multiple times. (laughs) Now, do you find that a lot of these deer, (laughs) they feel secure around the water. That's why there's big mature bucks in these water areas, or is it just an easier play to get on a mature deer in these water areas? So there's four things that I feel like make the water work for us and for a mature buck. It's got a water source, obviously for drinking. Now I don't believe that big bodies of water pull deer in for hydration but I do believe that the more of it around makes them feel more at home and not have to search for it as much. It provides lowlands nine times out of 10 is, is providing that green up at the like latest, like normally around here, you know, late March, April, you're starting to get that green food. You've got natural browse from April until the frost, you know, so it's a, killer place for some great vegetation and and food form almost all year long to to an extent 
And I really believe that them bucks, the more they're pressured, especially on public, that they feel the more water that they have between us and them, they feel just better about it. And they act more like deer should act, so to speak. It's like everybody talks about elk and whatnot. If you go a mile off a road in Colorado, and a drainage, and bugle off in it, you, you're going to be brokenhearted. Now, if you have somebody backpack you in 10 miles in the freaking wilderness of Wyoming, you know, you might not even be able to pull your bugle tube up to your mouth before you hear one ring off because they're back there acting like elk. So I feel like the water gives them that natural feeling of security. It gives them, you know, water and it gives them food uh, year round. And the biggest thing for me with water, and I think when you see, these people that are hunting water, killing these big deer, I think it's because my main go-to tactic the last couple of years is making the deer come to me. And that means, you know, finding that golden pinch point and getting in there at the right time with the right wind, the right setup. And it's like you, you, you hunt that same spot three days during a prime time in November it's almost a golden, it's a given chance you're going to see at least a decent buck in the right, you know, state, right area, given the surrounding topographical features, crops, you know, whatever. I could go on and on and on. But water creates pinch points a lot. And I feel like I've been really good at capitalizing on finding those pinch points and putting myself in a position to where that deer has to come within 25, 30 yards of me and I'm getting an arrow in him. So what do you, like, when you're looking on the map, what kind of things are you looking for? Like, if you were to pick a new spot, say you're going to go to a new state, and you're looking at the maps that have water, what are some of the key things that you're looking at to make yourself successful in a water access spot? I like to find multiple water features and, say, like a, a really obvious dry section of land in between them. So, for instance, like one of the spots that I hunt in Indiana, I've got this really big slough in front of me, and it's got like multiple water features around it. It's got a small ditch. Say, if you're looking at this on a map, to the north, there's a a really large slough. To the left, there is a ditch. And to the south, there's a creek. And them deer have to use that little buffer of land during November when they're cruising, just constantly looking for does, they have to use that little buffer that I call the island back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to avoid crossing that creek, which is normally seven to eight feet deep, or going through that nasty, sticky slough mud and water. And they're just not going to do it when they're trying to cover ground quickly. You know what I mean? Now they'll cross that creek, you know, here and there. The, the heck, the, the deer I shot back in there in 2021, he it sounded like a 400 pound dude did a cannonball chasing that doe across the Creek. Um, but really just two decently large bodies of water that push them deer down to a certain small surface area that they have to come through and hunting close to the edge of the water is key. And what makes it key? To me, it's being able to get out of your, kayak or out of your waders or whatever you want to say just staying in that water until you're ready to climb the tree i say tops and i know people will 
argue with this, but 40 yards is like a good number to me. Like that's a max that I like to get out of my boat and climb a tree. I've got places in Kentucky that I will get out and walk a mile. And it's just because that's saving my legs. But when I'm specifically using that water to pinch down and get them deer close, I want to get out of my kayak, up a tree within 20 yards, make sure that I'm positioning myself to where that water is pulling my thermals down. Um, you can't always get it perfect, but in a, in a golden situation, if you can get that water close to you and the sun over the water, I mean, you're bulletproof, the, especially in a light variable wind. Your thermals are always going to pull over that water. We talked earlier before we were recording about how if you can get some moving water, that like constant like stream or river or whatnot, that right there is going to trump almost even an eight to nine mile an hour wind, especially if you're hunting super close to it. It's It's almost like a little jet stream, so to speak. Um, what is the damn movie? Finding Nemo. Yeah, you know the damn like the turtles and and whatnot that yes. they get off at the exit. Yeah, like if you jump in that, you're gonna get sucked that way. So if you're real close to that water, that natural breeze that's flowing with that water is is pulling your stuff way downstream. Now that's not to say that 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 buck isn't gonna come, you know, down wind of you close to that water and send check that area because they will. Jake Bush told a story on a podcast we did together a while back about how he got busted multiple times doing that. So get those situations. You just got to rethink your setup and, and get down there where he can't do that, so to speak. And so that's that's where you're going, that 40 yards off the water, because then now you're pinching them in between you and the travel corridor instead of them being able to get back be behind you and come in, right? Exactly. Well, 40 yards max. I mean, my, my yeah, goal is to – I mean, I could, if I want to be perfect, I want to be able to pee into my kayak from my saddle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, then that's there's ideal. no scent. You have no scent on that ground, and it's completely, you know, you're like a ghost in there. Nobody will ever see you. They can't smell you. They never even know that you existed. Very true. So when you when – you, so, all right, say, for example, you're going out of state, you found this ideal spot, and you go in there. What kind of sign are you looking for, or are you even looking for any type of sign? You just know it's a pinch point. So here's here's where you gotta, you got to turn your layers off on Onyx or Spartan Forge, whatever you're using, because everybody gets closed-minded on, like, that public line is just like, that's it. That's all they use. That's not the case. Correct. So I find that pinch. I'm zooming out. If I've got good food, ag-wise, if I've got good security and I've got very little access, I'm, oh, I'm ready. Now, a lot of times in, in lowlands and stuff like that where I'm killing some of these deer, you're not going to find a lot of sign. I have, I have one scrape in my Indiana spot that I can count on that I could put a camera there and get pictures of most of the bucks that are coming through that area. But you can walk for half a day in there and you won't find another scrape. There's no rubs. And it's sometimes it's pretty damn hard to determine a big buck track because of how wet it stays. They slide, you know, the track gets longer, it gets washed away. Um, but other than, you know, if you can find a, a good dry spot somewhere and, and catch this track and whatnot, his track is his signature, you know, they they can't hide that so i don't really 
I don't get down in the dumps if I hit one of those spots and I'm not seeing the big, so to say, big buck sign. But when you, you know, you're in a good, you know, state, reputable for whitetails, and you zoom out and you see all those great features that add up that just say there's probably a good respectable buck or quite a few in this general area. And that's why I key in on those pinches because I know at some point he's going to have to come through there at the right times. Keep in mind, if if I'm planning an out-of-state trip, I'm either going the first week or I'm going during their rut, period. I want to give myself that best chance at killing them. Like, I don't want to go in there in, you know, October 8th through the 14th and, and try to kill a mature buck. Some people can do it, and you can do it at home when you've ran cameras and you've got time to scout and you know the area, but you're going out of town, you just you don't have that time. So make the wife happy and, and plan it on a high opportunity time frame. Like Thanksgiving or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, she was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> that probably didn't go like, over well. <laughs> I was like, honey, I mean – I kind of just expected this hunt to go like the last 15 where I didn't kill shit, you know? Like, sorry, I actually shot something. <laughs> and you came home late for dinner? Is that what happened? I was only an hour late, so. Oh, that's not bad. But that's that was that was what in Indiana, right, when you killed that deer? Yeah. Our, our mom's turkey was awful anyway, so I wasn't really that down. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he went there. <laughs> Bull son. <laughs> he said, he said, it was, well, it is what it is, right? You would have rather been hunting than, than killing. Oh. <laughs> I can't get over that. That's hilarious. Oh, but yeah, no, the water access thing, that's probably, but that sets you apart from everybody else at that point, right? Like, the thing is, one of the things with that water access, though, like your car's not parked in the regular parking space. Have you ever had where people come in on you because they don't know that you're in a certain section of woods while public land hunting? Oh, yeah. Um, you'll get the guys that just walk and walk and walk and walk and they end up back there where you're at. Um, and I've gotten to the point to where, you know, if I'm putting in at a boat ramp, I mean, I try not to even leave my truck sitting where people can see it. If I'm dropping my kayak in a ditch, I'm, I mean, I'll drive my truck a quarter mile up the road and just walk back after I drop my, my boat there, you know, just because, you know, it's, it's obvious, like this truck's parked right here beside this bridge and there's boot tracks and there's a kayak kill mark where they're dragging it right down here. So, you know, exactly what they're doing. And it's, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, You'd, you would be the only one back here doing it, but people are getting like idiots like me, get on podcasts and start talking about it. And then we get mad because <laughs> people back here and there's nobody to blame, but yourself, which I mean, I don't care because the, the more the merrier, come on back. You guys knock yourself out kayak in this nasty ass water for two hours before daylight. And, and you spook all the deer over towards the parking lot and I'll shoot one 50 yards from the truck. It'd be a lot easier to drag out. Well, you hear those stories too. The guys, you either kill them right next to the parking lot, or you kill them five miles deep. Like there's no yep. like middle ground anymore. It's all it's either close or far away. It, it's very true, and the deer adjust to the pressure no matter what. So the the big thing with some of the things that I do is is reading the pressure and reading the people 
um, the spot in Indiana that I've come to love so much. Like I could probably go in there and target a mature deer and maybe kill him during October. But I've got this gut feeling that if I leave it alone, I let the pressure build up around it, especially let gun season kick in. That spot back here is like fine wine, dude. I'm talking just let the neighbors keep shooting because I know right where they're going. That's smart, though. That's super smart that you're not only playing to the deer, but you're playing to the pressure around the certain areas because people put the pressure on those deer and you know exactly where they're going. It's like when bird season comes in here, pheasant season comes in here, you hunt on the backside of these pheasant hunting areas and where'd all the deer go? They go in the thick swamp behind the pheasant hunting areas because these guys are pushing them in there. And some of the best areas are the upland, the backsides of upland bird areas. Oh, we don't have no pheasants around here, so I wouldn't know nothing about that. Oh. <laughs> get yeah, into a little cubby, get into a little cubby of quail every now and then, and you shit your pants, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, we have like they they stock them right, so like the state will stock the the pheasant in these areas, and then there's like you know little bird fields, or they'll stock them in these wooded areas or whatever. But they'll go in there, they'll run their dogs, they're shooting their guns constantly, three four days a week. And then you go on the backside of these swamps, on the backside of these public areas that have, you know, the pheasant hunting, and they're loaded with deer. And nobody, and everybody would think this. This is what people think. People think, oh, well, they pheasant hunt there all the time. All the deer are going to be scared. Well, the deer didn't just, like, get on UFOs and disappear. I mean, they got to go somewhere, right? I mean, like, they're going to be in the, 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 the worst of the worst in the back of these, the big swamps and stuff. I mean, it's, that's where they go. Which is the same as is what you're trying to hunt too, right then and there, you know, right right off there. So, oh, well, I I what do you what do you think like if you were to go to, um, say like like an area that wasn't water access, what would you do to try and to get in on a, on a big mature deer in there? Well, like I said, I, I want to go in that good time frame and. Um, just use different tactics and, than other guys and, and spend a, spend a couple days, maybe a, a day or two really scouting and, and scouting the people. Um, try to find something overlooked. That's a big thing for me. Um, if you can find something that maybe somebody's not doing, I'm talking like you look at a block of WMA and you've got, 1800 acres right here and you've got this little 200 acre track that's you know close to some houses and right off the road and there's never a truck park there why not go check it you know absolutely i mean that's uh, i was gonna say something else how i lost my train of thought Boy, i'm i'm out there. i'm, I'm, I'm I'm we're, toast for the night. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all on the same page, man. <laughs> it's the grind, and it's not even the grind hasn't even started for us. Like we're the grind is more or less there in the working time than it is the deer hunting time because our minds are on something else. This is it's it's part of it. It's very very true, very true. What are you doing now? What are, we talked about it earlier? What are you sixteen days out? When when do you open at home? Um, Kentucky opens September 2nd this year. Um, but I'm going to head down and hunt that three day velvet hunt in Tennessee, uh, coming up on the last weekend of August. So we're not very far out from it. 16, 17, 18 days. 
something like that. It's getting closer and closer, and I'm uh, my mind is drifting away from everything I'm supposed to be doing at work to just get me the hell out of this place and let me go chase a whitetail. What do you do going into that hunt? Like what on the early season velvet, is there something special that you do to, to put yourself in a position to be able to kill a deer? Um, not really. You know, it, we talked earlier about this. It's a camaraderie team hunt. So the hunting grounds guys come down a couple other guys. Um, you guys heard of the Southern outdoorsman podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So Jacob Myers comes down and he's actually the person that invited me on that hunt for the, like it was just me and him that started going down there and um, been going every year since. And, and really it's like a, we know the area already finding the deer is tough because they're disappearing like literally before our eyes with the disease and the long gun seasons. And sure there's some poaching going on because deer are getting harder to find. So people are getting desperate. Um, you know, it's it's hard to find a big deer down there or a buck in general. Like, there'll be eight or nine or ten of us on this hunt, and I guarantee you, you can call me in 20 days, and I'll tell you, we've we seen like two bucks between all of us. That, that'll be it. And it's, it's miserable. It's hot. It's nasty. Our wives are nagging us to come home. There's mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds. It's... It's not a fun hunt. It's just fun to see all your buddies and friends and share camp. Um, as far as preparing for this hunt, I like to smack my face a little bit and my <laughs> neck and whatnot and get used to those motions. Um, <laughs> I'm just teasing, but yeah, the mosquitoes are awful down there. Um, there's really nothing other that we can do is but to get there a couple days early and just kind of put together what we're finding, what crops are where. And, you know, that first day we're sharing info, like this is not a ego hunt. There is no information hidden from anybody. We're all out there for each other. Um, my good buddy, Taylor Philpot is the reason this deer right back here behind me is on my wall. Um, cause last year, you know, he, he spotted two bucks crossing a road before daylight. He tried to get in front of him and kill him. Didn't get a chance. It was the last afternoon of the hunt brought all of us in nine people Demised a plan to get in and possibly get a shot at one of those deer that afternoon. And even then, it wasn't going to happen because the deer was just too close to private. And I wouldn't call it a deer drive, but Taylor was smart enough to shake some limbs and get this deer to leave that private field. And he just happened to come by me trying to sneak out of there. Um, so it's a really selfless hunt. It's a it's a fun hunt getting to see your buddies and play pranks and tell a couple of lies. But as far as preparing for it, man, there's really not a lot that we do just because of how many years we've been going down there. You know, you just get down there and just, just see what the sign is and what's going on and just hunt it like men. Pray to pray to God. You spot one the day before season and pray to God. He shows up there again the next night. Is it and do you think that the, the lack of deer there is just because everybody's kind of on that hype of a velvet deer, an early season velvet deer, and a lot of people are going down there? Or no, I I, I think it's I think it's the disease. You know, the, the the area we hunt is the chronic wasting disease, and and it's a legitimate thing. Um, the the deer numbers have just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled since we've been there. Um, I think. A lot of people do go to Tennessee to, to get that velvet deer, uh, but I'm not seeing a lot of deer killed on this hunt at all. Like, 
you know, the public community is pretty out there and they're not scared to like post what they've killed and whatnot. And, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been down there three years. One of the years my son was born, I couldn't make it. Dang him. Um, <laughs> and Well, no, dang you for having a kid during yeah. that time. <laughs> so I get not counting backwards tonight. <laughs> anyways, um, no, I want to say, uh, shoot, where was I going with that? My wife just texted me. I lost my train of thought. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about how, how just going down there and how senseless it is, like just going down there and just haunting. I think, I think the disease is killing the deer. I think that their extremely long gun season they have that starts in October and lasts to like February or something. It's just what? getting, oh yeah, getting a lot of deer killed. And if your deer tests positive for CWD, like you get another buck tag. Oh. So everybody's just shooting whatever. And I'll go ahead mm. and tell you, you know, I better not see a spike opening day because he's mine. Because you're just, down there haunting with the boys. That's right. Yeah. It's it's he's going down. Yep. And and you would rather be in Tennessee than haunt the Kentucky early season? Uh, I'm hunting both because oh, okay. it's uh, <laughs> Oh crap, that's right. Yeah, because that doesn't start until September. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's but, the cool thing about that Tennessee one. It's only three days and it's before everything else. So it's really a no brainer to not you don't have to pick your dates. They already picked the three days for you. You know you're going to hunt those three days. Yeah, that's very true. Delaware's the same way, though. Delaware early season's like that, too. It's a yeah, week I've long. Heard, I've heard that y'all have a velvet season, but you know, not everybody thinks about Delaware for a big buck state, which maybe they should be. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> oh, Jacob's got to go there, huh? Delaware is you know there is a lot of east coast states that are just sleeper states that aren't talked about and they they have real big deer they're just not on the map like the midwest states and you know like Tennessee for example you know it's just one of those states that just not really on the map for having big deer well you're saying they're not there anyways but maybe he's just really just saying that so no one goes there what do you think come on down I'll show you I'm telling you, <laughs> uh, no, my, my two best, uh, two of my best deer have come from Tennessee. Uh, one of those being uh, Middle Tennessee, and the other one was West Tennessee deer, which is one that's back here behind me. But you know, there's big deer just about everywhere. You know, for the year, for years, I always thought like Alabama, like I always see a hundred inch deer, and I'm like, there's an Alabama booner. Well, you know, the, the more I talk to people and and, and network. There's plenty of big deer down there. There's plenty of big deer in Georgia. There's still not any big deer in Florida. I'm I'm sticking true to that one, but I'd agree. Um, they're they're I mean they're everywhere. You just you got to find them. It's just at what numbers and the numbers of how many big deer there is. That's very true. Very very true. It's it's because like like the Midwest states, and I hate I hate picking on the Midwest states, but like they're they. You know, everyone says, oh, yeah, there's a 150 behind every tree. No, but there's there's a thousand 120s where if you were to shoot a 120 in a northern state, that's like if you're shooting a 120 to 130 every single year, like you're really doing something. But in a Midwest state, that caliber goes up to 150, 160. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just not the 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 the, the square mileage of 
the population, there's not as much. Relative. You've got to take into account relativity of where you're at and the opportunities you have there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jacob, I got one last question before we let you go, man. Um, and that is, we ask everybody this question is what drives you outdoors? I don't know, man. Um, I think it's the, let's, let's see. I, I want to be honest with this because you know, a lot of people ask, like, would you still do it if social media wasn't a thing? And I would. Um, but it is fun to interact and share stories in these hunts with all the people that enjoy watching. Um, that really gives me a drive to, to do this nowadays. Um, but the root of it all is like the passion that my granddad instilled in me when I was young. And um, I really really took that and ran with it last year honest to god um i think i think you can you can really see that in my film that was in the film festival um that like you know i told you guys i started the year off you know two weeks after he passed killing the biggest deer of my life and i do not believe that was anything other than coincidence um then go in on this big long drought and tagging a super like respectable uh buck in indiana in the swamps and then you know capping off the year with the smallest deer i've shot since i was sitting in his lap you know and i was tickled to death about it like um just i don't know that's what drives me i dude there's nothing wrong with that and and that whole story in that video is absolutely incredible because like you just said you were in the highs and the lows of the season and then it brought you back to where you started like that season went in a roller coaster ride for you probably emotionally also oh yeah 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 i'm i'm an emotional train wreck i'm a i'm a crybaby and if you watch some of my videos it ain't hard to tell i get i get worked up one way or another there's nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm the same exact way, dude. Like, I had uh, – I, it's funny. is You go through those emotional roller coasters, especially in filming. Like, the first year that I started filming, I started filming with turkey hunting. And this was a long time ago. And, like, I got so upset about getting turkeys on film, and I was trying to do it with a bow, trying to do it with a bow. And then I ended up shooting a Jake. And – because I'd like shoot and miss or I'd shoot one and it run away or whatever. And I shot a Jake and I killed it. And like, I was sitting there with the Jake and the emotions just came over me and I started crying. Like it was just like, because there was just a hardship that you go through trying to do it over and over again. So I get it, man. When there's nothing wrong with being a little bit sensitive. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it by any means. (laughs) When we get off this podcast, I'm going to go down there and snuggle with my teddy bear and, Drink me some apple juice or something. <laughs> Capri Sun, juice box, whatever. Yeah, yeah, there we go. A little high C box. My son will be like, where the hell are all my drinks for lunch? <laughs> well, Jake, before we let you go, man, why don't you tell everybody kind of where they can find you, kind of see what you got going on in the season and so on and so forth, or maybe even check out the video that you did last year for the film festival. Oh, man. Well, if you guys want to check out my YouTube, which is where – uh, I'm posting all my videos. It is DO3 Outdoors. Like I said earlier, it stands for Data 3. Um, got daughter who's nine, Keely, a stepson who I consider my own. 
who is five, Kyson, and our little boy, Lakin, uh, who is fixing to turn three years old. And um, you can see, God, I think I've got close to 100 and, 110 videos on there now. Wow. Uh, you can probably find me just by searching my uh, name on Instagram, Jacob Emery. That's E-M-E-R-Y, not the way that you guys spelled it on the Zoom invite. Oh, sorry. That was me. <laughs> I, I, I just think <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where you can find me if you want if you want to subscribe great if you want to leave me some hateful comments i'm no longer affiliated with the show where i have to filter myself so just be ready for a nasty response because i can be mean love it <laughs> i love it you can be you i love it man that's I, right i really do well i hope everyone goes and checks you out man i hope you have a great season especially starting down in tennessee we're looking to to see how you do down there man have some fun hopefully shoot a big one hang out with the boys mess around with them but um and we can't thank you enough for for coming on the show we really appreciate it and having to do it twice because that's never fun but (laughs) no worries man absolutely and for everyone else thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive